Get ready for a surprise! Okay. Alrighty. Welcome to episode four of Nerdstocking. Tonight we aim to prove the idea that Hollywood is bereft of original ideas because we're talking about movie remakes and reboots. Not sequels. We won't be talking about Star Wars this time, thank God. This segment of Nerdstocking Remakes and Reboots features Total Recall, along with Halloween and some other stuff. Three Star Wars episodes in a row is too much, even for a bunch of nerds. And speaking of nerds, I would like to introduce the panel. Chad. So anyway, before we... Ret- Chad, what the hell happened to everybody? Well, I wasn't only feeling us. I was getting enough talk time. And <laughs> I, I sent out an email. Is it one of those Agatha Christie and then there were none? <laughs> Sorry, you won't be here next week. <laughs> It'll be the Chad's show. I'll be the next one on the block. So yeah, it's just me and Chad tonight for this episode. But I'm uh, sure we can fill the shoes of our uh, missing compatriots. We may even impersonate them from time to time. Maybe so. I can think of a bunch of nerdy stuff and talk like Ross. And That's right. I'm going to grumble like Laura. <laughs> Homer. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll do my Gene Krupa imitation on the uh, table for Jackie. Well, at one point, I'm just going to walk away from the table and shut from the other <laughs> side of the room. This is what happens when you don't show up, right? You, get, right? you get ridiculed. You get made fun of. Anyway, before we start talking about Hollywood retreads, I wanted to touch on Deadpool because... We've both seen it. And uh, what did you think? What do you think of Deadpool? Well, as a character, it I didn't think anything of him. I thought, here's this silly character. I heard he was Canadian. And I go to enough Comic-Cons that everybody dresses like Deadpool in, at Canadian Comic-Cons. Yeah. And I noticed that. It's like a joke. You know? It is. It was when the last time I went. It was just nonstop Deadpools everywhere. Yeah, like uh, you know, playing punch buggy Deadpool instead. Right. Because there's just too many of them. But I have to say that Deadpool was one of my favorite superhero movies now. Right. I, I laughed from the beginning to the end. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. And right. unlike many films where you get to the three quarters of the way through and it becomes not funny anymore because maybe they get sentimental. Right. Not this one. Or the action kicks in and it just becomes a kind of a brainless action flick. White noise for... Yeah. 35 minutes. Yeah, or the Avengers where just shit starts exploding and there's madness. Now, the way I put it is, I like the movie, but I didn't enjoy it. Why is that? Because uh, Deadpool's a movie where you have to go and see it with a bunch of friends. Yeah. And you have to see it in a full theater. And I went went on a Tuesday morning at 12, (laughs) and there was maybe, you know, 10 people in the audience. And I saw it in the D-bag section. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we invited actually, you, but... I think it's actually D-box, but you just feel like a D-bag while you're sitting there and the chair's moving back. You had to go to that body-piercing festival in Las <laughs> Vegas that weekend, and you would have been with us, but nipples aren't going to pierce themselves. Yeah, so uh, the real problem is with, with D-box. Have you ever done that? Have I you? have not. Yeah. I, the reason I did that is because I had um, points on my scene card. Right. It was a free thing, so I thought, what the hell, I'll get... Get the D box. The problem is D box is like the right. It's right at the back. There's only one other row. You know, it's more immersive to sit closer. Well, and it's maybe because, it's indicative of the fact that yeah. 
the D-bag sits behind you and kicks your seat all the way through. So they've just said, hey, look, we're going to put them all in one box right at the back of the theater. And exactly. in the middle of the theater, we could feel the rumble from the D-bags. You know, it was like, <laughs> it was like they're kicking their chair, our chair from the really? back of the cinema. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. It doesn't move too much, but um, yeah. So I don't know. I just, it was a bad, it was a bad way of seeing it. And the pe- no, nobody was really laughing, so and I wasn't joining him, but I did like it. A lot of other people liked it too because it uh, actually beat the box office expectations for an R-rated film. It made forty-seven point five million dollars on that opening day. It beat the record. the The, the other R-rated film that had that record was Fifty Shades of Grey. So it's almost like they made kind of made fun of that because they were uh, they had those crazy sex scenes. In it, where she's drilling him with a strap on, and <laughs> it was interesting. The uh, do you know what the budget was on it? Yeah, it was fifty-eight million dollars to make it. Yeah, wow, that and is it's a bargain basement price. Well, for they could a only afford film. one X Men, right? right? Yeah, that's what they made fun. Yeah. They made, made a, he made a few jokes during the during the movie. Like he goes to the 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 house Xavier School, <laughs> like they answer the door, like. Negasonic Teenage Warhead is the one answering the door, and he's like, "What? That's almost like we couldn't afford another X Men." That's right. It's like I've come here before, and this is a really big house, and it's always you two. It's <laughs> funny, and I don't even know who she is. Like, yeah, she, that's her first film. Well, I don't have her name, but that was no, I don't it. mean the girl. I mean the character. I've never even heard. Oh, really? I'm not much of an X Men guy, but yeah, she I've never heard of. You know, Colossus. I've heard of him. Right. You know? He was great in that. He, he was, was a great character. It was a it's a great idea to have this sort of squeaky clean giant up against you know the the wiry mouthy uh, Deadpool who's just cursing and swearing and doing all kinds of shady shit. A good combo of them. I saw an interview with um, with Ryan Reynolds about the the character, and he yep. was he was saying how it really is him. Like he really connects with it because he's that guy. He's that smartass, smarmy you know, constantly making jokes and good at it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that Green Lantern, that didn't happen. Uh, And the... Well, Green Lantern, you know, I've never seen it, but I think it's a really serious... Brightest day, blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's light! Well, it's a typical superhero movie in, mm. in that seriousness, but he makes jokes throughout it because his character is Hal Jordan is he's a pilot. He's you know, he's kind of and he can be a little wisecracking and yep. a bit rebellious. Kind of Captain Kirkish. Okay. Right? Right. And so it's that gave him some room. It was just horrible. It was just a horrible, horrible movie. And I think that his humor is maybe more mature, more, you know, adult sarcastic. And please don't make the super suit green. Or animated. Like he was in Two Guys and a Girl in a Pizza Joint, which yeah, was the sitcom that he, he got his start on. Okay. He was the only character who was really memorable. He was really good at it. Yeah. And as his career went on, it was like one crappy movie after another. Like they just couldn't figure out what to do with this guy. Right. And maybe this is his Citizen Kane. Right. Well, he definitely, he fought a long time for it. Like something like 11 years. He was fighting to have it made. Yeah, well, he has an appearance in one of the um, X-Men movies. Right. Where you don't see him in the costume or any of those things. Right. You just see him and they've sewn his mouth shut. Right. It's Wolverine, X-Men Origins, Origins Wolverine. Yeah. yeah. I haven't actually seen that, but I've seen clips. They were showing clips of it, the actual uh, 
Deadpool character and you'd never recognize him. He's just a guy yeah. with his mouth sewn up. And I'm a, you know, as a comic collector, I collect Captain America and the Avengers. Yep. So I have a lot of that. And I love the Avengers, but the Avengers movies are of my least favorite. Right. And people will say, well, maybe because you're too close to it or you like it too much and you're more critical. Right. But I'm a bigger Captain America fan and I love those movies. Right. You know, and the movies that I think are better, like Cap and Ant-Man, Iron Man, the first one, they're simple stories that right. talk about a character. Yeah, they tell a more personal story. Yeah, it's not like 45 minutes of smashing. And, you know, let's go fight 100,000 robots or let's go fight 100,000 aliens. That's right. all fine and dandy, but that's just moving from point A to point B. And Deadpool, like Ant-Man, was just a little story. Right. You know, let's not, let's not make too much of it and let's have some fun. Well, it's something that's contained. You can get a grip on it. It's not ratcheting up you know, the stakes too high. It's just him trying to get revenge, right? Yeah, and now we get, we get It's a love story, they say. It's a love story. So more stats. Uh, It's rapidly closing in on the record of the highest grossing R-rated film. Do you know what that is currently? Uh, Exorcist? No. It's a good guess. Deep Throat? It's uh, Mel Gibson's torture porn extravaganza, The Passion of the Christ. Really? Yeah. That, at, that took in $370 million domestically. That was a terrible, terrible movie. Oh, yeah? I haven't seen it. He dies at the end. Oh, you sp- <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> and he did a second one, up, uh, Apotheca or... Um, yeah, yep. Apocalyptica. Yeah. Apocalyptic? Yeah, Apoc- Apocalyptica. Another terrible movie. But, mm. but the passion was... You know, it's one thing to really highlight a moment in Christ's life, mm-hmm. but... This one went too far. It was like, hey, let's make it real. But they made it so unreal. Hmm. Like they made all of the characters unrealistic. The torture was so over the top that there'd be nothing left of the people. Right. You know, if this is what the Romans, like the, the, the implication that the, the Romans did this to people. Yep. No, there'd be nothing left of people. Right. It was a, Mel Gibson can suck it. <laughs> Sugar tits. <laughs> so yeah, it's approaching Passion of the Christ. Uh, the global record for an R-rated film. Do you know what that is? Deep Throat? Nope. It's The Matrix Reloaded, which made 700... That was restricted? Yeah. 400... uh, Sorry, $742 million worldwide. And which one was that? Was that the the second worst bad one? You know, I was trying to think of that. Yeah, I was trying to think of that. Reloaded. What are they? There's a Matrix. The Matrix. I think it's probably the second one, Reloaded. The second and third one were so bad that... Yeah, I can't believe like that's. It must be the second one because everybody loved the first one. Right, they all went to the second right. one. Right, the third one, they're like these guys are losing it, or guy and girl now. I guess that's right. I made sixteen bucks. <laughs> and uh, as a in perspective, uh, Deadpool in two weeks has made two hundred and thirty-five million dollars domestically and four hundred ninety-one million dollars worldwide. Get your pens, people. So what do you mean? Huh? <laughs> Write down these numbers at home. Yeah, exactly. I'm a numbers guy. And as we said, it only costs $58 million to make, which blows me away, like $58 million. Well, I heard about Green Lantern, that Green Lantern's advertising budget was higher than its production <laughs> budget. Right. Because they just, they just promoted the hell out of it. And they spent more money promoting it than they did making it. Right. And my guess is they probably spent, I don't know, three times, ten times that. Right. Maybe not ten times that. Fifty-eight million still not chicken feed, but yeah. Well, still fifty-eight million. I think that's probably the bagel budget for like a 
James Cameron film. Fifty-eight million. Uh, yeah. Just FYI, Green Lantern cost two hundred million. Holy smokes! That's so funny. Yeah, that's so funny. Well, it just goes to show that money doesn't make a hit. Right. You know, you have to have a great movie. Right. You know, Tarantino's earlier films proved that. The reason he he has the ability to make the movies he continues to make is because he could make a great movie like Reservoir Dogs with almost no budget. Right. Or even still, like um, The Hateful Eight and Inglorious Bastards are not huge budgeted films. No. You, you should look those up. I'm going to look them up. Because uh, I don't think he's like spiraling. No, I'm sure he's got it under control. Yeah. Because he does character development. It's all about the characters. It's not about right. the, the glitz and the glam. And he actually goes after uh, actors that are not their known on top of the box office charts, right? Like, like uh, well, he brought Kurt, back Tra- Travolta for yeah, exactly. You know, how much? How much did he get for? How much did he have to pay for? T- <laughs> you got for a no, rub. it's a foot rub. Foot rub. Remember? I, foot rub. I had a question though about Deadpool. So he's in the lab. He's getting. Uh, they're going to experiment on him, and he kind of becomes friends with this other guy. Yeah. Who is that? Who is that guy? Is he like some? Does he have like? Is he important in the X Men or comic book? I have no idea. Because, again, I'm not an X-Men guy. Right, I don't know about right. all of their... You're the favorite. wrong guy to show up for this uh, podcast. That's right. I'll just make stuff up. <laughs> you can go ahead. That was Wolverine's uh, illegitimate son. His name was Weapon Expo. He was from Montreal. <laughs> from the 60s? And he was like, didn't you, I could uh, if you listen, you can hear him go, call this, let me out of this box. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so here's some facts. So, Inglorious Bastards. How much? 70. 70 million. 70 million? So, puts it in perspective. Yeah. Guess what Reservoir Dogs was? Oh, my God. 10 million? 1.2. Are you shitting me? That's the budget? That's the budget for Reservoir Dogs. And I'd say about three quarters of that probably went to Harvey Keitel. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, or, Or maybe not, because he's done some really great... Indie-ish things. Well, did you see A Bad Lieutenant? That's yeah, one of my favorite films. It's a pretty... Yeah. <laughs> when he's, he's going, he's like loses his bets. It's <laughs> like grunting and groaning. It's I don't remember classic. that. All I remember really? is him pulling, pulling that car over with those two girls. He's in his car. <laughs> he's just upset. You fucking piece of shit! I just remember him pulling the, the pulling the two <laughs> girls over in the car. <laughs> yeah, that was. I, I know that that scene was also cut. Oh yeah. So a lot of places didn't see it, but it was right. a pretty. Right. Well, it was why he was called Bad Lieutenant. Well, speaking of that, um, Deadpool. Uh, you know, I think someone was. I was reading somewhere that someone saw it in India and complained because in India they bleep out all the bad words. So he, his complaint literally was, I couldn't understand the film because I, I, you know. Bleep, 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 bleep. Every second word was bleeped. I did so many bad things. So I wanted to ask a question when we're talking about remakes and reboots is, is there a difference between the two? A remake and a reboot? Yes. Well, I don't know if there'd be a difference. I would say that a remake, well, there are the ones who go note for note and just try to remake the movie. Right. And then a reboot is maybe re-envisioning it. Right. But like, you don't think a remake is always 
really adheres to the original? Because I don't know if that's the case. Uh, maybe re- you know what it is. Reboot is a bullshit word that the industry has created to make it sound innovative, but okay. is it? <laughs> right. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good enough definition. What I was thinking was, um, if it's a reboot, there's more changes involved, right? Like you keep the title, you keep the character's name, but you change the actors, right? Different mm-hmm. actors, and uh, I think that's really what a reboot is about: is you're trying to get rid of the actors to get new actors in. Well, they yeah. that I guess this is why they use reboot when they say Spider-Man. They've rebooted it because now Andrew Garfield is the new Spider-Man. Right. So maybe what, yeah, exactly. I was going to say there's a like another another difference between the two is a remake is generally done to something that's 20 or 30 years old, but uh, a reboot is it's an excuse for redoing it in a a quicker timeline, right? Like you said like Spider-Man. Well, and it only applies to franchises. I guess. Because you can't reboot something that only had one movie. Oh, uh, maybe. Because whereas right. like Spider-Man, there was the Tobey Maguire, that's the, there's yeah. Andrew Garfield, Actually, and now there's a new guy. Yeah, that's the answer. Is a, It's it's when it, it deals with franchises, they're rebooting the franchise. They've made a few films of that franchise, and they're resetting it. Right. Okay, well, whereas where you have Bond, they never use reboot with Bond. Right. Because it's all right. Bond, even though technically they could with the more recent Bond that truly is a it's reboot. It's a reboot, right? Because they've they've it's a departure from what Bond is. Is it been. really a departure or is it just returning more to the Connery gritty dangerous Bond? Well, right? as a big Bond fan, maybe not as big as Ross. Mm-hmm. Ross, what do you think? Yes, it's very good. Okay. <laughs> Chad, uh, you're you're exactly right. Yes. As usual. That's right. <laughs> James Bond is amazing, especially when he was on the helm of Star Trek ships. <laughs> Isn't that the flying thingy that they fly in the Star Trek? Thank you, Ross. <laughs> Enough with your Star Trek. I would say that, uh, you know, as a moderate fan of Bond, right. I like the movies. I've seen them. I think I've seen most of them. And I really liked the new reboot. Right. The problem was that they just got shittier and shittier. Hmm. And Spectre, the last one, I don't even make I couldn't make it through. Right. It was just a terrible movie, in my opinion. Um, really? What was it missing? What was not right? What wasn't there? Well, you know, one of the things that really bothered me was there's one scene with an older actress. Yep. And I, I know that people complained or com- criticized and, and made their comments. Oh, oh my God, James Bond sleeping with somebody who's not 20. We talked about that in the uh, last episode. Right. But that whole scene was very rapey. There okay. was a weird rapiness to it. Well. So there's, you know, because he's standing on one side of the room, she's up against the wall. The backstory is, is that he's murdered her husband and other people are coming to kill her. And he's standing around the, across the room and she's looking at him with hate and disdain. Mm-hmm. And he's looking at her with scorn. Yep. And then the next thing you know, they're fucking against the wall. <laughs> and it just seemed like, you know, and it wasn't like, it didn't look like hate sex. It looked like, okay, now's the part where you have to be doing it against the wall. Right. And it was very abrupt, I guess. Didn't really, wasn't a good setup. It was just, it was really kind of a icky scene. And that's probably why people were more critical of it. But um, hmm. he had said after, um, like he he's, criti- he's really critical of James Bond now. And he, he refers to him as a misogynistic you asshole. Mean, and, uh, Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig, yeah. Right. So maybe I think 
the evolution of his reboot has been time for another one, I guess. It's just yeah, it just didn't go anywhere. It it's went funny. it went the wrong way. They they got grittier and darker and yeah. that's interesting. Too well, Bond something. is always Bond is a really interesting character because he's wavered. You know, he had started off with the the gritty, dangerous Bond of Doctor No and uh, from Russia with Love, right? Very quick, violent jabs. You know, like yeah, very violent. He has a license to kill. Yeah, for real. Like in those, right. uh, Connery kind of started to sli- slide into camp, and then they went with uh, Lazenby. And I, I really like Lazenby. I do. I like that movie. His on Her Majesty's Secret Service. It's a good. It's a good flick. Well, I would say that that's the movie that really inspired the 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 Spy Who Shagged Me series. Right. Because that's the movie that all the the scenes the the they're shot the same way. The kind of base up in the the mountain ski yeah. ski villa that they have is very much like the uh, the one in the Austin Powers movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, baby. Yeah. I wasn't really a big fan of Roger Moore. The Roger Moore years. The, See, as a he was he was my Bond. I guess right. he was the Bond that I thought was cool. Well, he was the Bond where I started watching James Bond, but when I watched Connery. In the earlier stuff, I'm like, he's a much better Bond. It's funny because I have a lot of them on DVD, and I watched some of the Timothy, Timothy Dalton ones, which I hadn't watched before. Yep. And he was pretty great Bond. Timothy Dalton? He was surprised. I always found those really a bore, those films. Well, but if you watch them now, removing what, what you expect from James Bond, he's he's actually a lot more like the character in the books. Mm. He's, you know, he's much more similar to uh, Daniel Craig in Casino Royale. Than he is to the other Bonds, and I think that that's why when he he did his, everybody was like, "Wait a minute, that's not what Bond is all about." But it's in that one where um, there's a big murder, a wedding, and right. Terry, the one girl who played Terry in uh, Three's Company, oh, okay, she gets killed in that opening scene. Oh, oh t- spoiler! Tisk tisk. We'll say spoiler first. Tisk tisk tisk. You can read my review on Ten Point Review. <laughs> right idea, Mister Bond. But wrong pussy. So uh, another question I had was, um, well, not a question, but a comment I was going to make just thinking about the nature of remakes and reboots is the best reason there is for making a remake is that they're going to blow open the scope of the film. Like you've got the you know obvious crowds all gathered in a soundstage in Blade Runner, right? Mm-hmm. Like obviously a soundstage. And then if you do a remake, you're able to blow that world open where they can go anywhere and do anything, right? So it just opens the world up, you know, opens the scope of the world up. That's the movie that they're, that's the one I was trying to remember. That's the one that oh, they're Blade doing Runner. a sequel. Blade Runner? Yeah. Yeah, with Ford is that's in it, right. right? Harrison Ford is going to be in it. So you'll be able to see if they can blow out the scope. Right. And they won't see the, the car come down on a forklift. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or just, you know... At the time, watching Blade Runner, it was an amazing kind of world. But when you look at it, it's just obviously, you know, a soundstage. And I'll, t- I'll talk about it later because I'm going to, when, when I, well, I might as well segue now. Because uh, that's the, seems to me, that's what they do. That's the benefit of, of when they remade Total Recall is they were able to make this world. The world is very interesting to me in the in the Total Recall make a, uh, remake. You know, they... They they make the whole city that he lives in, and you can you know when they're doing the chase scenes, you can see him, and it's all very futuristic, and it's it's buildings piled upon top of buildings, and you know, 
it's uh, uh, it's a more interesting world that he lives in, but whether or not it's an interesting character or, uh, you know, or a plot is a different question. Did did you did you like the second one? The my my first feeling was when I watched uh, the original again in preparation of this podcast is that they just don't make movies that clever anymore. You know what I mean? You think so? You, you think the first one was clever? The first one was clever. It was very clever. Like um, to me, the idea of a good Total Recall film is how much it adheres to that kind of you know Philip K. Dickish mindfuck thing, right? Like paranoia and is this real is this fake you know that to me is the essence of total recall and in the original i thought they really played with it very well they kind of rode that line is he really a secret agent or is he strapped to a chair in recall and something's fucked up and he's you know stuck there Mm -hmm. he's dreaming it all for an example it starts off he's a construction worker and he's married to sharon stone and uh He's just going through his day, but when he talks to his wife and leaves, she looks at him. There's a look. Or when he's talking with his construction worker, he's like, I'm thinking of going to recall and get one of those memories implanted. The guy goes, you shouldn't do that. And then Quaid leaves, and the guy kind of looks at him. The people that are around him are suspicious. If it was just a guy who was a construction worker, there wouldn't be any of that. So they kind of hint that you know maybe he really is a spy who's being checked. When he goes to uh, recall, they do stuff like, because in the uh, first part where he's, uh, again, where he's just a construction worker, he's kind of obsessed with Mars. So again, there's a thing where n- n- all of this has happened before he's gone to recall, right? Because rec- when he goes to recall and gets those memories implanted, that's the trigger that, you know, all of a sudden the plot gets going. And it's like, they're, they're showing him pictures of Mars and you see the, you see the uh, artifacts and he sees Cohagen, the, I guess the governor of Mars. He sees the girl that he eventually meets. Like, they show him all the shit that's going to happen, you know, after the plot gets started. And, then, and like, he goes to Mars and he sees these people. He sees the artifacts. He knows Cohagen. So I think they really do a good job of, of setting that up. They put all the things in place where you'll wonder, is it real? Is he a super spy? Is he just a guy who's still you know, trapped in his fantasies. You know, it's, I mean, it was interesting. They play with that well. That came in, what, 83? It was 89. No, wait, it was 90. The original was 1990. Really? That late? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I when it came out, I guess I had an idea of who Arnold Schwarzenegger was and what his movies were like. Of course, And yeah. when I saw that, I didn't like it. I didn't like him in it. I didn't like the movie. I still... You know, the last time I tried to watch it, I couldn't watch it. I did watch the Colin Farrell one, <clears throat> yep, and I loved it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Right. You know, I thought it was well executed, and it reminded me a lot of Blade Runner. Right. Well, another thing I thought when I uh, started watching it was, um, it really sucks that Paul Verhoeven still isn't making movies. Yeah, who's who's that? He's the director, uh, Paul Verhoeven. He was on t- he was on top of the world in the late '80s, early '90s. So he directed RoboCop. Oh, okay. Right. He did Total Recall. And he did Basic Instinct. And those were huge hits. You know, and that puts you right in the A-list for directors, mm-hmm. right? And the unfortunate thing is, after that, he did Showgirls, which was a fucking disaster. Or was it? Like a career-ending We're still talking about fiasco. it. Fiasco, yeah. So, we're talking about how it murdered Elizabeth Berkeley's career. It murdered Paul Verhoeven's career. 
It didn't murder uh, Gina Gershon's career, but you can't get rid of Gina Gershon. I miss Fearhoven because he was a crazy motherfucker. He would go balls to the wall, crazy action and cursing and sex for the you know late 80s. You know, he was doing something different. He was uh, making these films that were kind of almost out of control. Mr. Cohagen. You wanted to see me, sir? Richter. Do you know why I'm such a happy person? No, sir. Because I've got the greatest job in the solar system. As long as the turbinium keeps flowing, I can do anything I want. Anything. In fact, the only thing I ever worry about is that one day, if the rebels win, it all might end. And you're fucking making it happen! It's not the safe, formulaic shit you get now. He's kind of a crazy Dutch motherfucker. Let me tell you, as, a, as an aside yes. for crazy movies, Yes. I watched recently a movie called The uh, Possession. Okay. It stars Sam Neill. All right. It was set in Berlin. Yep. It was filmed in 1981. Mm. Uh, it co-stars Sam Neill and this French actress. And it is the craziest. It's like, it's like a Nicholas Rogue film that isn't a Nicholas Rogue film. Right. In a horror format. Right. And it was amazingly, amazingly executed. They had like a weird tentacle creature. The description was was that this woman gives birth to her own hysteria. Okay, it's, so it's kind of like David Cronenberg and Shivers, yeah, thing, but, right or Rabid. No, sort of, hmm. but but no, not really. It's like. Yeah, it's like neither one of those films. So it's not really biological; it's more psychological. Well, it's it reminded me more the the uh, the thing that she gives birth to is much more like Hellraiser. Okay, you remember how the guy re, re rebuilt his body? Yep. So it's like that. So she's it's periodically killing people. Okay. And it's regenerating and right. and growing, but she's like crazy, and he's trying to figure out what she's doing, and they have a son. Mm-hmm. Bob. <laughs> what movie has a kid named Bob? But this movie does. Right. Shows it's crazy. Not even Robert, just Bob. That's right. Like, it was just, it Possession. was so crazy. There was one scene where she's in the um, the Berlin underground alone, and then whatever is possessing her soul or something takes hold, and she has this yep. scene where she smashes herself against the wall for 10 minutes. Wow. It's like a, <laughs> such a weird, and it, like Sam Neill was coming off of like um, the Omen movies. Right. Or maybe he hadn't even done the Omen movies. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. The Omen, yeah. He was in uh, Omen 2, right? Right. He, because he, he was the grown up boy. He was in the third one. Yeah. The Omen, uh, yeah. ended it or whatever. Damien or something like that. No, the final conflict. Final conflict. Yeah. yeah. Dame, uh, so that was after, because that yeah, was, was like eighty three, eighty four, yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. It was yeah. like great movie, a movie that I'd never ever heard of, and right. it was so interesting and compelling. Right. Well, you know, I, one thing I was thinking when I was thinking of Paul Verhoeven was, uh, you know, what are his analogs these days? Is there anybody like him? And mentioning Nicholas Rogue, that's you know, Nicholas Rogue, I guess, had come and gone. 
So I was thinking, like, there just aren't guys like Paul Verhoeven. Like, uh, I was thinking the closest would maybe be somebody like Guillermo, uh, Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo, yeah. yeah, Guillermo del Toro. Or Peter Jackson. Because Peter Jackson used to do that crazy shit. Did he? Yeah. What did he do before Lord of the Rings? Yeah, I wish I had written that down. I, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna. He did a couple of crazy films, like he, really crazy. He did Rhinestone. He did with Dolly Parton and I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Straight talk. Um, he did. Uh, he did one film. I don't know the name of it, but it's like with Muppets, with with puppets that are very similar to the Muppets, mm-hmm. and they're like murdering each other. Mm. And he did a couple like exploitation, low budget horror films that are really kind of crazy. But like you said, Lord of the Rings, once he went into Lord of the Rings, he went real mainstream. I don't think he's ever come back. He's a Hollywood A-list director now. Is not, not I know. crazy. Is he A-list? I guess. Peter Jackson? Yeah. yeah. Well, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, but you know, Lord of the Rings was, I enjoyed it the first time I watched it, maybe yeah. the first couple of times. And then these six hour versions came out. I never watched any of them. Um, right. speaking of Peter Jackson, we, yeah. you know, King Kong was one of the movies that I was going to talk about. Okay. And his remake of King Kong was, it really has amazing moments. And the problem with that film is that he just doesn't know how to cut it. Mm. You know, it's just, it, it needs to be edited okay. because it's like three hours long and there's nothing new about it. It is right. exactly the first 1933 King Kong, except, mm. you know, the difference between the modern King Kong and the old King Kong is that new King Kong is the victim. Old King Kong is the victim, but in the movie they tell you he's the monster. Right. You know, even at the end, it's the, uh, the director saying, tis beauty killed the beast. Right. No, you killed him, you asshole. Like <laughs> you're the one who took him off Kong Island and Skull Island and, right. you know, caused all this shit. Right. Um, but, it is really like he made a beautiful version of the 1933 film. I got to say about Peter okay. Jackson. So, uh, Total Recall. It was uh, here's where I get into the minutia. It's the part you love. Should I go um, get a drink? <laughs> <laughs> it was written by Ron Shusett uh, and Dan O'Bannon. So together, they both, uh, as a writing team, they wrote Alien. Oh. And uh, Dead and Buried. You've ever seen that one? It's a great film. That's the horror film. Yeah, that's that with the arms sticking yeah. out of the grave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, Dan O'Bannon himself is a legendary figure in Hollywood because he's kind of a mercurial character that that would burn as many bridges as he built. Now, mercurial does that mean he's gooey and silvery, or is he really fast? That means he's trapped in a thermometer. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so he, this guy, Dan O'Bannon. Uh, he made Life Force. Did you ever see that? Space uh, Vampires. Yeah, yeah. Um, Return of the Living Dead, which is one of my favorites. Yeah, which is quite often listed as the best zombie movie ever made. I would say so. In fact, I like I don't know how many times I saw that in the theater. Nina Hartley. It's like <laughs> having Nina Hartley in a film. No, not Nina. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, it wasn't. It's they not, have had porn. Like we're talking about uh, uh, David Cronenberg. He had uh, Marilyn Chambers in. What well, she was in, in Rabbit. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And yeah. um, it wasn't Nina Hartley in Return of the Jedi. Uh, <laughs> 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 this is like broken telephone going really bad. 
Nina Hartley. I've no, heard, was, I've heard no, of her. No, Lania Quigley. Lania oh. Quigley. And she became Return of the Jedi. <laughs> I can do it all the time. Boy, you got you some really, editing ahead you of you. Really, you really wanted George to Speaking of Linea porn Quigley. flick, and he's got the power, right? I got, I'm fucking made Star Wars. I'm putting all my favorite porn stars in this film. Uh, may the dork be with you. Um, the uh, no, Linnea Quigley in was in Return of the Living Dead as yep. the uh, punk girl. Okay, trash. I think her name was. Yep. And she went on to become the it girl in B movies. Right. Yeah, I remember. I think in premiere they did a call it the Scream Queen. Scream Queen. Yeah, yeah. And they did a profile of her. I remember reading that. It was like Brittany Stevens, Linnea Quigley, where they were like the two big ones, right? And they did all those. You know, they did trauma films. They brought. Um, I think they one of them was in uh, Invisible Maniac that starred Savannah. Speaking of porn stars, right. she starred in that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Our favorite seventies and eighties porn stars. Um, so Return of the Living Dead, uh, he did the 1986 version of Invaders from Mars, which was a good, uh, speaking of remakes, that was a remake of a fifties science fiction film. He, uh, I don't know if he wrote the whole screenplay, but he must've done segments for heavy metal and probably most famously for film geeks is he wrote and, uh, was an actor in Dark Star. You ever seen that? No, I just bought David Bowie's Dark Star album. Yeah, that's Black Star. Yeah, exactly. Dark Star is a film that John Carpenter made as a student film at USC, and he uh, uh, expanded it to feature length, and they released it as a feature film, and it is fucking fabulous. It is a great, great film. So it's about a crew of guys in a spaceship. They're in deep space. This is low budget. I forget. I read somewhere it was probably like $60,000 budget. <laughs> Imagine this epic science fiction film. So it's a crew of guys in a ship. And what they're doing is they're flying around the galaxy and they're blowing up planets that are unstable that in a solar system that's being pegged for colonization. So they have to blow up these planets. And uh, the captain of the ship is dead and he's in... Uh, Suspended animation, he's frozen, and he can still, with his mind, they got things, he's in a cooler, and he's got uh, things attached to his head so he can actually still give advice and, and command. Um, they, they drop these smart bombs onto the planets and blow them up, and one of, the, one of the bombs becomes sentient and, like, refuses to deploy. Um, there's an alien, and he, it's funny because... Like I said, he and Ron Sushi. It sounds funny. He and Ron Sushi did uh, Alien, but in this, you know, when the, I wonder if I got the date for it. 1974 is when uh, Dark Star came out, so it's way before Alien. But in that uh, film, they have an alien that looks like a beach ball with tentacles, which it's a beach ball with tentacles taped onto it, and uh, it gets loose on the ship, and it's like they're chasing it. So you can see, you know. The genesis of uh, Alien from this. And this is a Carpenter film. film. John Carpenter directed it as a student film in U- at USC, and then they, it's like like Lucas with uh, THX 1138. He did that as a student film, and then they released it. Uh, they blew it up to a feature length film and released it. Dark star, they are not lost in space. They're loose. 
so many great lines and moments in the original Total Recall, like, uh, you know, get your ass to Mars. Or uh, he uh, takes out uh, his wife, his fake wife, Sharon Stone. He says, uh, consider that a divorce when he <laughs> shoots her. And uh, my favorite is uh, the guy's trying to kill him with the big drill that's drilling through the earth to try to find the uh, try to find the artifacts on Mars. And ironically, Arnie uh, picks up a drill and, you know, drills through the big earth-moving drill that they're trying to kill him with. And he's like, screw you! And he gets him with the drill. Oh, Arnold. <laughs> I guess that's what you were talking about. You you saw the film when you just saw Arnold making his quips. And didn't well, it's it. just, I don't know. Yeah. I, I found that the special <clears throat> effects when it came out yep. weren't as good as other films of the time. Mm. You know what's funny is... Um, uh, Total Recall, I think I got that note here. Total Recall was the um, second most expensive film ever made. Really? Yeah. It was, at the time? At the time. It was only second to Rambo 3. This which, time it's personal. Which they must have sunk, <laughs> sunk a lot of money in. But uh, so did, they spent a lot of money on those special effects that you didn't like. $65 million. Yeah. They spent $65 million on the first one. And do you know how much they spent on the second one? How much? $125 million. Of Total Recall, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't actually. Which look is pretty that low, actually, yeah. considering how how good uh, the effects are. It's twenty thirteen, twenty twelve, I think. Oh, twenty twelve, yeah, yeah. They're uh, double, almost exactly double, actually. Wow, that's funny. Was, the idea of the remake, it's never a good sign when the movie starts and you got to fucking reach it, unless it's a Star Wars film, right? Yeah. Because they start off with the with the with the title cards and it's like, it's the future, and there's been a biological plague or a biological war, and there's only two areas inhabitable on Earth. It's it's the UK and Australia, and there's a link that they can travel in 14 minutes, moving through the Earth's core. And it's like this. this they have you know I, I hate films where it starts off like, you know, start a film like the original Total Recall. You know, just just start it. It's a guy with his wife, and he's a domestic. It's a domestic scene, and then shit goes pear shaped, mm -hmm. right? I don't need this story. Should catch you up. Yeah. Hello, I'm Johnny Cat. Where can I take you tonight? Drive, drive. You know, I one of my favorite movies is Halloween. Mm -hmm. Halloween one and two. I I I love them as a, as one film. Right. Um. And there's a movie that was remade in a completely different way. You know, it was rebooted. Yep. Uh, and then just, you know, a guy named Rob Zombie who has like, you know, such a badass name made such a shit movie. Right. And he removed all the badass from the movie. Right. And he's done other great movies like Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses. They were great movies. Yep. I like those a lot. But Halloween and what he did to it was like, he basically bent Michael Myers over a chair. Right. You know, it's like, the one thing you don't do is you don't unmask the monster. Right. Otherwise, he's you have apathy for him. Right. And that's something else. That's totally something else. Something else. Yeah. Right. So you you have like these this amazing character who is just pure evil. Like yep. all he wants to do is kill. He doesn't want money. He doesn't want to burn your house down. He just wants to fucking kill his family. Yeah. Like that's all a guy wants. Let <laughs> the guy get what you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's it, and he'll kill anybody in his way. Right. And that's it's it's 
he doesn't want possessions. He doesn't want life. He just he is just a killer. He's and a killing machine. It's so you know you just have to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and you're you're gonna get a scalpel in your back. You know, like, right. and that's what makes him really scary. The right. randomness of it, right? You know, even though he's looking right. only to kill his sister, right? But that's what they're dealing with, right? Even, you know, think about it. Even back then, in the seventies and eighties, or nineteen eighty, I think the original Halloween came out. Uh, seventy-eight, the first one, and right. eighty-one, I think, right. the second one. But even then, they're thinking, you know, mass shootings and killers in society, and they're commenting on it then, and just, you know, yesterday or the day before, there you know. was one story I heard earlier today that it was this uh, guy went to he killed three people at three different scenes yep. over the course of a day or two yep. and he was an Uber driver yeah. and apparently he was picking up customers between killings yeah like what crazy fucking world we live in yeah like how can you how can you square that circle but kill like, a few people drive a few people kill a few people but slasher movies are they're there for you to vent through hmm. you know like it's exciting and it's scary, but you're also sort of venting through them. So you're thinking more. It's it's more like I you know I live in this uh, townhouse and the fucking neighbor stereos bumping you know all day. I just want to watch a film where a guy's fucking stabbing people. Yeah, because I want I want him to be stabbed. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I can't do that. Yeah, because we live in civilized society. Yeah. Michael Myers doesn't follow those rules. Right. But right. then Rob Zombie comes along, and while you think he's going to pay this homage to this great the the best slasher that ever made it to film right instead he strips him down and he sh- you know like he does in all of his all of his films he's now a white trash family in uh you know in a trailer park or something right. and uh now it's though the stepdaddy was mean to him and the mother was a whore and the sister was this and it was on and on and on it goes and it's sort of like it removes all the the mystery right. of why he's so evil. Well, the real interesting thing about the original Halloween is, like, it starts off, uh, Michael Myers is a kid, and he lives in suburbia. In a perfect in a little house. In a beautiful house. He's dressed like a he, little clown. He, it's interesting Halloween. that he's got the, you know, the William Shatner mask on, and you can see out through his eyes. And he's going through this beautiful house, and he's got a beautiful sister. Well, he doesn't wear that mask in the beginning. He, oh, okay. He's wearing, he's dressed like a clown. Oh, okay. He doesn't get the mask right. until okay. later. But it's still, it's looking through the peepholes and you yeah. get this, look at this beautiful house and, this and then be- just these beautiful people. Bam. And that's, you know, playing on the idea that no matter where you are, you can live in your little house, your beautiful little house, make, you know, make your great salary and have, have a house. And then things can change like that. That's right. It's right. like, you know, oh, my neighbor, he was so quiet. Right. You know, he was, he, he let me a shovel once, you right. know, the same shovel he buried the bodies <laughs> with, you know? <laughs> Exactly. You know, and that's yeah. what's chilling about it. If you put him in a, you know, a bad environment, right. well, we say, okay, well, you're raised in a bad environment. There's a chance you're going to be bad. Right. But it's scarier when there's a chance you're going to be bad when you're in a really nice place. Right. You know, and everybody feels that way, including the people who, who come from bad places. Right. Uh, Rob Zombie just made him this guy who had a really bad upbringing. And then he tried to turn him into the monster by the end, but it was sort of like, oh, poor Michael Myers. Right. You know, if I went through that, I'd want to kill teenagers too. So he's trying to tell an epic story of how one man went wrong. But it doesn't, yeah, really, it was just, doesn't really work. Well, and there was this whole movement of, I guess, with the idea of a reboot, hmm. saying, hey, we're out of ideas. We could just remake the movie, but it's it, some of these movies are great. So- right. What say we we strip them down? 
we you know we do what Lucas did with the episode one, two, and three, and let's go back to the beginning. How did Hannibal Lecter become a cannibal? How did Michael Myers become a slasher? And on and on. And they're all terrible because you unmask the monster, you now have apathy for the monster, and now he's like you. You're trying to find the goodness in him. But when he's masked and he's horrible, it's like Darth Vader takes his helmet off when he dies. So that suddenly he's not the monster anymore. Right. That's at the end. That's right. You know, that's not at the beginning if he did it sooner, and this is why they yeah, can't be exactly. like Vader can't be in the next movie. He has to die and remove his helmet. Right. Because if he doesn't, you it's, know yeah, it's cheap. It's a cop out. Yeah. Well, it's like in not to talk about Star Wars all night, but in <laughs> The Force Awakens, when uh Vim Diesel or whatever the Darth Vader Jr. there is, when he takes his right. helmet off. Adam Driver. Adam Driver takes his helmet off, it's sort of like, Oh, we're gonna do that now, are we? Right. Yeah, so that's true. That's it, true. And suddenly we all thought he wasn't anywhere near as scary to the end of the movie. Yeah. He was no longer a menace. And, you know, true. the one error is that he didn't put the helmet back on. In the next scene, he and uh, the the other the officer gen- who doesn't the, like him. The Hux. Yeah, General Hux. Go and talk to the, you know, the big giant, which reminds me so much of Battlestar Galactica. Yep. Uh and he's not wearing the helmet anymore. Oh, what now? Now we're not wearing the helmet. Is that it? You just walk around now. Everybody sees you without the helmet. Right. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. I haven't actually seen that uh, the remake of Halloween. I really didn't have any. Um, There's no point. Need. I didn't have any need to do that. Well, again, it's it's like I haven't have found the need to see the remake of RoboCop. Right. Because the first movie was perfect. Right. So why see another one? Right. To see everything that it's not. The budget on Halloween. This is a real indication of what somebody can really well, sorry. do. Sorry, Halloween for a long time, I think until the Blair Witch Project was the highest grossing independent film ever made. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Rob Zombie films each were made for fifteen million, which is still pretty low in the big yeah. picture, right? Yeah. That's pretty low. Yeah. But the uh, Halloween, the first one, what do you think it was made for? I'm thinking like. Two hundred thousand or something like that. Yeah, it's three hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. Right, that they made that movie, right. which is like unheard of in this. Do moment. you have the how much it made? I I don't. Yeah. The it made uh, a ton of money. The sequel, Halloween Two, which yeah. is just a continuation of the night, yeah. cost two point five million dollars. Right, which I guess says that the second half of the night is way more expensive than the first half of the night, which is true. Right, because that's when you get in trouble. Well, it's funny <laughs> talking about remakes and Halloween. Is I remember going to the theater to see Halloween three, the season of the witch, oh. and I really enjoyed that film. Well, you can enjoy it as long as you don't think that it's going to be tied in with the first two movies. You know, it's funny. I don't know if I did or not. I remember reading that uh, what they were going to do, what they're planning to do with the Halloween franchise, was do just that: is make films that were that were like uh, one offs. Like they weren't going to deal with Michael Myers anymore. They were going to, it's almost going to be like an anthology horror series of films where it would be just scenarios. Like maybe the twilight zone blown up into like feature length. What was the Stephen King one? What was that night? Uh, not, he did a series. 
Yeah, he did Masters of Horror, I think. No, that was Masters of Horror was a documentary that included him. Okay. But there was a I know what you're talking about. There was the series. a series. I had some of them on beta and some on VHS really? at one point. Oh. Night Shadows or something like that. It was kind of a night gallery very much like Skeleton Crew. Right. But uh yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. So Halloween grossed so made for $300,000. Made for $325,000 worldwide. Are we going to go domestic or worldwide? Domestic was $47 million Right. And worldwide was $70 million. Wow. Yeah, and just in perspective, like Halloween 2 only made $25 million hmm. internationally. That's funny. Uh, but it was made for $2.5 million. Third one was made for $2.5 million. It made $14 million. The fourth was made for five million, made sixteen million. Hmm. Like these are shit numbers. Yeah. Like really, you're gonna diminishing returns there on your Halloween franchise. Uh, Halloween: The Curse of Michael Myers was number six. How much did that space one make? Where it's uh, he's in space. Uh, no, that's that's, that's Jason. A, oh, that's Jason right. Ten. Sorry, I'm Jason X. Friday the Thirteenth. I'm getting them mixed up. Yeah, this is the good franchise we're talking about, not the bad franchise. Right. Uh, H2O, which was the return of Jamie Lee Curtis. Right. That one was made for $17 million and made $55 million. There you go. You're back on track with that one. Getting a little bit more money. Halloween Resurrection, $15 million, made $37 million. And then the Rob Zombie films, each made for $15 million. The first one made $77 million, $7 million more than the original. Right. For uh, for not well, yeah, it was way for made for thirty way, times the budget. It's, yeah, it's funny. It was way, made for way more, but if you were to like adjust for inflation or whatever, it's maybe similar. But it's or not. It's in the ballpark, I guess. No, because they made the same amount of money, but one cost three hundred twenty-five thousand, right. and one cost fifteen million. Right. Uh, and the second one made thirty-eight million. Well, I can see by the clock on the wall that it's about time to wrap this baby up. I guess uh, I guess we talked more about the original uh, Total Recall than the uh, remake, but I think that's probably deserved. But anyway, I want to thank uh, Chad for participating, and uh, thanks to anybody out there in podcast land who takes the time out of their lives to uh, listen to ours. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can send an email to nerds at nerdstocking.com or through our Twitter at NerdStockingPod. Don't go changing.